History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. you spectacular people welcome to this 437th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is kelly kelly on this episode we're going to go to wisconsin to an old hotel called the fister hotel this is a very fancy place but it's got some ghosts pack some fancy clothes and what's cool about it is the hotel doesn't like to talk about their ghosts but the main people who have come out and claim that this place is haunted are Major League Baseball players. A lot of them. Oh, wow. So if you've got these guys coming out and saying, I can't get any sleep in this place, there's something going on. <laughs> Most definitely. And this location was suggested by our listener, Brad Bransell. Also, Kelly, uh, lighting hit our house. <laughs> sure did. Saw it happen. So right now we are sitting in our studio, which most of our listeners know is our master bedroom closet. And we can't get on the internet. So we're literally reading the script off the phone. Yes, we are. Passing it back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) With very small writing. That being said, we can't access the Facebook website. And it's much easier to look at it on a computer rather than the app. So hopefully we've got everybody who is a new person to the crew here. We want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Mia, who shares a name with our puppy. Yes, she does. Who already doesn't like thunderstorms. And yeah, she pretty much lost it when we got hit by the lightning. Well, because we jumped and screamed. I mean, I saw sparks out my office window as I was working when everything went black and she was with me. So our reaction certainly didn't help her stay calm. No, I shook for a couple hours afterward. Also, Christina, Michael, Susan, Linda, Emily, and hopefully we say this right, Dorota. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Naughty. Claudia Fonda owned a very unusual horse named Lady Wonder. Fonda and the horse lived in Virginia in the early 1920s. Fonda noticed that she and the horse almost seemed to share a psychical bond. Now, many of us probably think we have some kind of psychical bond with our pets, but this one that Fonda had with Lady Wonder was proven with tests. Fonda trained Lady to move lettered and numbered children's blocks with her nose to spell out words. For example, she showed Lady a tractor and then spelled out the word for the horse, and when the horse saw the tractor, she would spell out the correct word. But then Lady started spelling tractor before she even saw the tractor. This type of thing happened so much that Fonda started thinking that her smart horse might be a psychic. Fonda made another contraption for Lady that was a piano-sized contraption with a double row of keys. Lady would push her nose on a lever, and this would cause a tin card with a number or letter to pop up and spell words. She would test Lady by writing a word Lady couldn't see, and ask Lady to spell the word and she would do it. 
Soon, word got out and people were flocking to the horse for counsel. This caught J.B. Ryan's attention and he came to test the horse. He would write words and hide them and see if Lady could guess them and she was right. Ryan even used bigger words like Mesopotamia and Carolina and she got those too. Lady predicted the winners of boxing matches, the sex of unborn children, elections, and she even guessed the maiden names of married women. Her biggest success came when she told the police where they could find the body of a murdered child. The words she spelled were a bit confused, but when rearranged, they matched an abandoned quarry where the body was found. Skeptics believed the horse was just well-trained and cued by Fonda. Lady Wonder wasn't always right, but the fact that a horse was able to be right many times certainly is odd. And now, this month in history. In the month of May, on the 17th in 1970, Thor Heyerdahl conducts his Raw 2 expedition. Heyerdahl was an explorer and an ethnographer and he wondered how Polynesia came to be populated. Most historians thought that people traveled from Southeast Asia to Polynesia, but the currents run east to west, and South American plants were found in Polynesia. Heyerdahl believed that ancient peoples could have contact with each other from even farther locations, thousands of miles away. He put action behind his theories. In 1947, he successfully conducted the Kon-Tiki expedition in which he sailed 5,000 miles across the Pacific Ocean in a hand-built raft of balsa logs from South America to the French Polynesia to Amatu Islands. The Ratu expedition had Heyerdahl sailing across the Atlantic Ocean from Morocco to Barbados in a papyrus reed boat built by traditional boat builders. Ra 1 had been built in the same way but foundered before finishing the voyage. Ra 2 was loaded with a multinational crew of seven and they made the 4,000 mile trip in 57 days. The voyage was documented in a book and in a documentary called The Ra Expeditions. Despite his success, his theories have not been accepted by mainstream anthropologists. The Pfister Hotel sits three blocks from Lake Michigan in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and once advertised itself as the only fireproof hotel in the city. The hotel was built to be the Grand Hotel of the West. And it really was a gorgeous hotel with Victorian artwork, beautiful chandeliers, and gold trim that still exists. This started as the dream of one man and was completed by his children. Today, guests can experience a lavish stay and perhaps even a few bumps and creaks in the night. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Fister Hotel. Bye. <laughs> 
Milwaukee is Wisconsin's largest city and sits where three rivers converge on Lake Michigan, the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinick Rivers. Native American tribes had lived here for 13,000 years before French explorers first came to the area. Friar Jacques Marquet was the first to write about the area in 1674. It wouldn't be until 1795 that a structure was built, a trading post constructed by fur trader Jacques Vieux. He transferred ownership to his son-in-law, Solomon Juno, and Juno is considered the founder of Milwaukee. He built a log cabin and then a frame building, and in 1835 he partnered with Morgan Martin to plat out streets and plots of land to sell to settlers. Juno took on the mantle of mayor and held that for two decades. In his time, he served as postmaster, established a newspaper, and built a hotel and courthouse. The city was heavily populated by Germans and rivaled Chicago for size and wealth. Through the years, the town would become a successful center of tanneries, brewers, foundries, and grain merchants. The city had a large hotel that burned down, and it was in need of another large hotel in the downtown area. Anna Lardinoy of Gothic Milwaukee did some research and discovered that the land upon which the Pfister Hotel was built had a private burying ground there. The bones were found when they began digging the foundation. A house had also been on the property, and this is where the first white male born, Charles Milwaukee Sivier in Milwaukee, lived. Now, this was a big parcel of land because the house was said to be on East Water Street, which is about five blocks away, and Water Street runs north to south today. So whether this has anything to do with the hotel is subjective. Yeah, so I found that on a blog post that she had done, and I went in to research it and look at the newspaper articles and stuff, and then I looked at a map of modern-day Milwaukee, and I'm like, how in the world can the street be that address? Because it runs in the opposite direction today. So I don't know if they switched which street was Water Street, but the streets don't match up with the story. So I don't know if there was actually a cemetery here underneath where they put the hotel or what have you. Prominent Milwaukee businessman Guido Pfister had a vision for a grand hotel. He'd made his fortune in the tannery business, and in 1871, he purchased the land on which the hotel was built at the corner of Wisconsin and Jefferson Streets for $200. Can you imagine? Nice. It wouldn't be until 1888 that the land would be optioned and a hotel company was established. Unfortunately, Guido died a few months after that, and the plan for a hotel was put on hold. So really sucks. He had this huge dream. He was all prepared for it, and he didn't manage to even make it to them solidifying, even putting a shovel in the ground. Yeah, but, you know, he's got great kids. He does, because Guido's son Charles and daughter Louisa were not about to let their father's dream die. Everywhere I looked, all it does is mention Charles, but I found a documentary that mentioned Louisa, so I don't know why the daughter doesn't get any credit, probably because Charles, I mean, he was the man, so he put most of the business acumen behind it, but the daughter was on board, too. Yeah. So they gathered a group of businessmen together, and the plan for the hotel was back on with double the budget. This hotel was going to be more lavish than even Guido dreamed. The Pfister Hotel was designed by Milwaukee architect Henry C. Koch in the Romanesque Revival style. There were squat columns and decorative wall carvings and round arches. May 1st, 1893 was opening day for the Pfister Hotel. The hotel boasted features not seen in many hotels at the time like electricity, fireproofing, and each guest room had thermostat control. Perfect. (laughs) You know I like my A.C. There were two billiard rooms, a formal dining room, and a gentleman's lounge. The hotel was lauded for its lavish furnishings and tessellated floor. Tessellated floors are small tiles inlaid to create mosaics. The walls were lined with paintings in gold frames, and the lobby had marble columns, a glass ceiling that was four stories up, and beautiful glass chandeliers. 
two large bronze lions flanked the entrance known as Dick and Harry. I love that they named the lions <laughs> that. Too. Dick and Harry. These were a gift from businessman T.A. Chapman, who bought them in Rome. The total cost of the construction came to $1 million. Paid $200 for the plot of land and spent a million putting a hotel on it. I mean, that's a huge chunk of change in that time. And that glass ceiling was basically a huge skylight that just opened up the lobby. So you imagine all the natural light that was just showering down on there and then bouncing off those glass chandeliers. I mean, people would have walked into this place in Milwaukee and gone, whoa. Had to be stunning. So you got to imagine that Guido, if he could see in the afterlife, was pretty proud of what they put together for him. I would imagine so. Despite the opulence, the hotel struggled in the beginning to make a profit, particularly because the stock market crashed four days after the opening. Talk about timing. (laughs) Couldn't time it any worse. A Republican delegate convention in 1894 helped to boost the visibility of the hotel, and more tourists were drawn to Milwaukee and specifically the Fister. Conventions started eyeing the city as a powerful place to host their events. President William McKinley visited the hotel in 1899 with his family and cabinet, and he really started something. Because, get a load of this, Kelly, every president since McKinley has stayed at the hotel, all the way up to Barack Obama. Wow, very cool. Former President William Howard Taft was at the hotel when he got word that World War II had ended, and reporters arrived at his door at the presidential suite to get his reaction. His initial response was, what's going on? He apparently had been asleep. (laughs) Can you imagine he opens the door? There's all these reporters standing there going, former Mr. President, former Mr. President, you know. Hopefully he wasn't in his pajamas. (laughs) I I don't know, but I thought that was funny. He probably was rubbing his eyeballs going, what is going on? The year 1926 brought a major renovation to the hotel. More would be added to the hotel by Charles Pfister during Prohibition when they did away with the Turkish baths and opened the English room a modest little pub in that area that served up Indian punch. Indian punch was very popular. So popular that Fister started bottling the stuff for nationwide distribution. I tried looking up a recipe. I could not find a recipe anywhere, so I have no idea what it entailed. (laughs) Charles had a debilitating stroke and handed the keys over to his longtime friend and colleague, Ray Smith. Smith had actually started at the hotel in 1896 as a bellboy and worked his way up to hotel manager and the Smith family held the hotel for two decades. Things changed again in the 1950s, with part of the lobby being closed off so that a new lounge could be built. This was called the Columns, where waitresses wore togas and a centurion watched the door. The Columns eventually became Café Olé. The years after the Smith family were tough, and by 1962, the hotel was in bankruptcy. A movie theater operator named Ben Marcus bought the hotel so that it would not be demolished. Can you imagine this grand hotel? They were going to tear it down. Marcus wanted to add more room, so he expanded the hotel, adding a new 23-story guest room tower. This is off the back of it. It doesn't really match the architecture, but it did give them a lot more rooms. The tower included an ornate bar called the Crown Room, which became a hot spot for the city. The club offered up dancing and live performances by renowned jazz musicians like Sarah Vaughn, Carmen McRae, and Al Jarreau. The restoration cost seven million dollars, which was seven times what it cost to originally build the hotel. It grief. Rosemary Steinfest became general manager about this time, making her one of the first female general managers in the nation. Rosemary said it wasn't easy because it was a man's world at that time, but she stood her ground. Good for her. 
It was under her guidance that this became the place to stay for visiting MLB teams. And that's Major League Baseball for people who don't know. And Elvis Presley stayed here once. Rosemary said that he had a special kind of bacon flown in and it had to be cooking at all times when he was in the building. Oh, my word. (laughs) Why am I not surprised? I am not surprised. No. She managed to reroute him through the hotel when the press was hounding him. And when she got him to his room, he looked at her and said, thank you, baby. Oh, I'm sure she just turned into a puddle (laughs) on the floor. Oh, my God. Elvis called me baby. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Kelly, sometimes it's hard to find some free time around the house to just sit down and relax. But when your house gets hit by lightning, it kind of leaves you with no choice. You can't sit down and watch the TV because you can't stream anything. It's a perfect opportunity to play something like Best Fiends. (laughs) I play it all the time, whether we're watching TV or not. (laughs) I know. I love I actually use it as a reward. I know the listeners have heard me say that before. I'll be like, okay, I've got to work on this for an hour and then I can go play Best Fiends for like 15 minutes and then I get hooked and keep playing and keep playing. And I've worked my way up to level 601. What are you on, Kelly? I'm a bit ahead of you. (laughs) 9-11. And I've got to share... I just got the most adorable new fiend. It's a flower mantid, which is a praying mantis. And I actually really love praying mantises. And the flower variety is my absolute favorite. They're beautiful. They are really pretty. They are. They tend to look kind of like orchids, which you know how much I love them. Well, the cool thing about Best Fiends is there are dozens of unique fiends that you can collect. And then you can customize them. And that means you can customize your team of fiends. The cool thing is they start off as little babies and then they evolve and grow as they go. But you can always go back to the baby if you want to. They still have the same power structure. So they're like big and muscular on the inside, we'll say. (laughs) But on the outside, they look like the cute little baby they once were. And you know, that's what I typically do. I like to always revert them back to their cute little baby status. And they always have these great challenges that they bring up. It's like you get done with one challenge and you're like, oh, man. Well, right away, they'll start you on another one. And I am working on getting some more costuming here. I know I talked about my hypersonic Edward before. Well, now I'm going for Mermaid Gordon. (laughs) He's so cute. I mean, imagine mixing a scorpion with a mermaid. And that's what Mermaid Gordon is. He's very cute. Indeed, he is. Best Fiends is a match three game. It is so much fun. Some of the levels are more challenging than other ones, but you will absolutely never get bored with this. Join the over 100 million downloads and be the next one and download Best Fiends for free. You've earned your fun time. Go to the App Store or Google Play. That's where you can get Best Fiends for free. Plus, you can earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. Look for Best Fiends. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. For the hotel's centennial celebration in 1993, it was decided to restore the hotel to its former glory. So the lounge was taken apart and the lobby once again was like it had been when the hotel first opened. This is one of those hotels that once you enter the lobby, you can't help but gasp. The ornately painted barrel vault ceiling had once been a giant skylight. During this 1993 renovation, Milwaukee's Conrad Schmidt Studios designed a mural for the ceiling. The mural features cherubs, positioned amidst the clouds, framed by 26 red shields, 
and highlighted with Dutch metal lead that looks like gold leaf. The carpet was pulled up to reveal the original marble floors, but most of it had been crushed. The only original marble still left is in front of the fireplace. I can't imagine pulling all that carpet up to see the tile underneath and it's crushed. I, I know. I'm like, how did it get crushed? Heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I know you've had a lot of foot traffic, but that's just, I don't know what the world happened there. Today, the Marcus family still owns the Pfister Hotel, and it is a member of historic hotels worldwide. The Victorian art collection put together by the Fisters is still here and can be explored with a self-guided tour or a scheduled tour with the hotel's current artist and residence. The collection is actually worth more than the hotel itself. Dang. I know. <laughs> Don't let that place burn down. The hotel boasts 82 suites that have their own wet bars and sitting rooms and 307 standard rooms. A martini lounge is located on the 23rd floor named the Blue Bar and Lounge and features fondue. The Mason Street Grill is also at the hotel and is one of the best restaurants in Milwaukee serving up sandwiches, steak, and craft cocktails. Turndown Service greets the guests at bedtime with chocolates and this sweet dream poem. Because this hotel is a human institution to serve people and not solely a money-making organization, we hope that God will grant you peace and rest while you're under our roof. May the business that brought you our way prosper. May every call you make and every message you receive add to your joy. May this room and hotel be your second home. Isn't that nice? Aw. But sweet dreams seem to be hard to come by for some guests. The hotel also features several spirits. The Travel Channel named it the creepiest place in Wisconsin. The Pfister Hotel, however, doesn't embrace its haunted reputation, so don't ask them for official commentary. The ghost of Charles Pfister is thought to walk through the hotel. Pfister's apparition appears as a portly man and seems to be good-natured. He hangs out mainly on the hotel's grand staircase where he can watch the lobby, watching the living go about their business at hand. He likes to stroll the minstrel's gallery above the ballroom, too, and he's been seen up on the ninth floor. Charles had dogs, and their spirits seemed to be here at the hotel with him as well. The sounds of dogs are heard in the hallways. The Fister Hotel is a favorite for visiting MLB teams who are going to play the Milwaukee Brewers. In 2010, two starters on the San Francisco Giants, Pablo Sandoval and Edgar Renteria, claimed that Charles Fister haunted them for two nights in a row and it had gotten so bad that they relocated to another hotel down the street. In 2018, the St. Louis Cardinals were in town, and the team stayed at the Fister. Several players and coaches all ended up in the same room together after they experienced paranormal activity. Marcel Ozuna told Carlos Martinez that he had seen an apparition in his room. Pretty soon, a couple of coaches claimed they were scared by something, too. They all headed to Francisco Pena's room, and Martinez made a video that he posted to Instagram. In the video, he said, we're here in Milwaukee. I just saw a ghost. In Ozuna's room, he saw another one. We are all in Pinita's room, who is Francisco Pena, I guess is what they call him. We are all stuck here. We're going to sleep together. If the ghost shows again, we're all going to fight together. <laughs> They're all buddy buddied up in the beds. Yeah, you could see they're playing cards in the background. So I don't know how scared they really were. Other MLB players who claim to have had experiences at the hotel are G-Man Choi, who felt a spirit in his bed, Brandon Phillips had the radio in his room turn on by itself, and then did it again after he turned it off, and Carlos Gomez heard voices when he got out of the shower. Colby Lewis had the terrifying experience of seeing a skeletal apparition at 1.30 a.m. He was so scared by it that he missed a radio appearance the next day to visit the team's chaplain. Adrian Beltry, 
shared several experiences he had with Sports Illustrated. The TV in his room turned on and off on its own. He heard knocking on the door when no one was there, and he was awakened from a dead sleep by pounding on his headboard. He was so afraid for the three days that he stayed in the hotel that he only got two hours of sleep and took a bat to bed with him. And I'll beat that spirit to death. Oh, wait, it's already dead. (laughs) (laughs) And Michael Young wasn't shy about sharing his stories with ESPN the magazine in 2013. He said, oh, F that place. Listen, I'm not someone who spreads ghost stories, so if I'm telling you this, it happened. A couple of years ago, I was lying in bed after a night game, and I was out. My room was locked, but I heard these footsteps inside my room stomping around. I heard all these stories about this hotel, so I was wide awake at that point. And then I heard it again. These footsteps on the floor, so I yelled out, Hey, make yourself at home. Hang out. Have a seat. But do not wake me up, okay? After that, I didn't hear a thing for the rest of the night. I just let him know he was welcome, that we could be pals, that he could marinate in there for as long as he needed to, just as long as he didn't wake me up. See, that's what the other players should have done. Then maybe they would have slept peacefully. Exactly. Just tell go ahead and marinate over there in the corner. Don't bother me. (laughs) What are you marinating in? Bryce Harper also told the magazine, One time last summer before I went to sleep, I laid a pair of jeans and a shirt on that table at the foot of the bed. Those things in hotels that you sit on to put your shoes on. I just laid them out. Simple as that. When I woke up in the morning, I swear on everything. The clothes were on the floor and the table was on the opposite side of the room against the wall. I was so flustered. I honestly thought there might be someone in my room. I had no idea what the hell just happened. So I actually looked around and then I checked to see if the door was still latched and it was. I thought someone, maybe Jason Worth, came into my room during the night and moved everything around. And I knew Tyler Moore and Lombo, Steve Lombardosi, were both near me too. But they said that no one had done anything like that. Now, they could be lying to me. That's possible. And no one else seemed to have a weird experience, but it really creeped me out. I went downstairs and changed my room immediately. Different room, different floor. I said, I just need to get out of that room. I don't want to talk about it. I just need to get out. So they moved me to a higher floor. I love these hotels that don't want to talk about the stuff, but they know. (laughs) Exactly. They have so much going on. CJ Wilson told the magazine, I've had lots of experiences there. I was on the computer one night doing my typical shtick, surfing the web, sending an email, editing a photo, and then all of a sudden the lights started flickering. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be so pissed if my computer dies. I think we can relate to that after getting hit with lightning yesterday. I can definitely (laughs) relate to that. Then the light just shuts off, and then the TV shuts off, and then the light turns back on, but the light at the front door turns off. I just yelled out, really? I went back to whatever I was doing on the computer, but then 30 minutes later, they're scratching in the walls. Now I'm thinking, okay, it's the Midwest. There could be a possum or something in the wall, right? A possum (laughs) in a wall? (laughs) In a hotel? (laughs) What floor are you on? The next day, we all show up at the park, and everyone has this uneasy feeling. Like we had bad Chinese food or something. (laughs) Oh my word. (laughs) I said to one of my teammates, you wouldn't believe the shizzle that was going on in my hotel room last night. And the other guy said, oh, my God, are you talking about that shizzle you heard? Everybody had a story. One dude got locked in his bathroom and he had to get the hotel to get him out. 
We probably used a cell phone to call down to the front desk and said, I can't get the bathroom door open. Because everybody takes their cell phone to the toilet nowadays. Yeah, I mean, you got to have something to keep you entertained. May I suggest Best Fiends? (laughs) Another guy had the lights turn off when he was in the shower. And another guy saw something. If there's something that makes the hauntings at the Fister more believable, it's that dozens of baseball players claim to have had experiences, and some of them have been scared enough to leave and never return. We're not sure why they seem to be the main ones plagued with these experiences, but maybe it's because they have more visibility, so their ghost stories get out more than just the regular guest. Could be, or Mr. Fister was a fan of the Brewers, and he just wants to mess with the other teams to get... That team <laughs> I mean, talk about a secret weapon. Keep the other players up all night so they don't play so well the next day. I'm sure that's why the Milwaukee Brewers are like, keep bringing them to that hotel. Is the Fister Hotel haunted? That, that is for you to decide. decide. Well, it looks like a glorious place just to walk through the lobby. A lot of these old hotels. I just love walking through the lobbies to look at everything, even if I'm not staying there. Definitely. This is a bit upper scale to stay there. It looked like the rooms were about 300 bucks a night for the regular ones. So we'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Hope you checked out our paranormal conversations number seven that we dropped this week. It was an old friend of mine who I like to call him Big Sarge. And he has a group called Ghost Ops Paranormal. And in talking to him, we found out about a great church that's haunted in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that we might be able to check out here in a couple months. I hope so. So fingers crossed. That would be very cool because there is a lot of activity going on there. I encourage you guys, don't just listen to the episode, but please go over to our YouTube channel to watch the video because I have put a couple of the pieces of evidence that he shared with me in the video there. Yes, most definitely. Go check it out. These are things that you'd want to see with your eyes. One of our listeners over on Instagram, Amy, was out doing a run up a canyon and she decided to take a selfie of herself. And in the picture, when you look in the background, now, of course, it could be pareidolia. We all know when you take a selfie, it focuses on you and kind of blurs out the background. It looks like there's something standing out in the woods behind her, like some kind of a dark figure. Bigfoot, I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Littlefoot. I thought it looked like somebody who was standing there with their hands in their pocket or something was very creepy looking. Um, She said, I parked at Third Dam, Logan Canyon, and took the trail about three miles up and back. I just got back and thought I'd look at my pictures. I took a bunch, but also tried to take a selfie with the trail behind me to make sure I was alone. I didn't want anyone to see me taking a selfie. The first photo I took, she uh, didn't like the way that she looked in it. So she said, I'm going to go ahead and take the picture from another angle. And then she went, what the fudge is that? But I didn't say fudge. I was on my way back down the trail. I just passed that area and there was nothing there. I've been on lots of ghost tours, the dungeons in Charleston Harbor, into the belly of the USS Yorktown with bulldog tours, and felt but never seen or captured anything before. If I'd seen it with my naked eye, I'd have made the three-mile trip back to the car in 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, so it was very, very weird. I'm not sure exactly what it was. I'm hoping it was just something because the background got blurred out and it was just a darker part of the picture. She said it was about a mile south of St. Anne's Retreat. After trolling around there in high school, it's always freaked me out. Melissa actually got to do an investigation up there, and they're the ones who joined us from Destination Mystery. I told her, no way, I wouldn't go because it's full of negative energy. So thanks for sharing that, Amy. Yeah, we appreciate it. So Kelly, as we said at the top of the show, 
we got hit by lightning. We're not exactly sure where it hit. We just know it ended at our house because we have this nice little burn mark that's under the eaves of the roof and it did not go through the roof. So we don't know how that happened. But Kelly had posted the pictures up on Facebook and I'd said, took quite a while to stop shaking. The modem is completely dead and some of the outlets aren't working, but we're safe. And I didn't pee my pants, but I almost did. And then we had several comments to that. Of course, the first would be Jerry Polly from Hillbilly Horror Stories. He said, Diane student, that would be scary. I'm assuming he's talking about me peeing my pants. I believe so. And then, of course, Kelly, you had to say, depends, dot, dot, dot. Upon which Jerry said, LOL, I see what you did there. And then our friend Susie Pearson said, I was poised for that joke. Ha ha. And then our friend Donna from California said, ah, it's okay to pamper yourself at a time like this. But I was just like, ah, ha ha ha, you guys are so funny. But I really legitimately, you know, I always say if I see a ghost, I'd probably pee my pants. That was one of the scariest moments of my life. And I almost did pee my pants. At least you didn't see the sparks flying. I could have done something else. (laughs) Yeah, Kelly, uh, she was sitting in her office and where it hit the outside of the house is literally right outside her window. So she got to see the sparks flying and it completely fried our neighbor's sprinkler box and their sprinklers were on all night. So we had to go show them how to turn the water off to that and everything. But yeah, it's a little crazy around here. Florida is the lightning capital, at least of America, if not the world. And it proved it yesterday. Never a dull moment, folks. Never a dull moment. Well, thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to thank Melva Pierce for raising your donation. We're going to be moving you into a garden crypt. And in three months, you'll be getting your HGB logo mug. And then after a year, a t-shirt. We have such great rewards here. We sure do. And thank you so much for supporting the show. And we want to welcome into the cemetery, Kate Morado. We're going to be burying you under a marble headstone. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. Milwaukee is Wisconsin's largest city and sits where three rivers converge on Lake Michigan. The Milwaukee Menominee. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Menomina. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I hope that's how you say the river. I don't know. And this one's good too. Connect, connect. Who named these rivers? I know that they are clearly Native American. I was going to say, I think they're Native American. And Kinnikinick River. Where's Kanicki when you need him? Kanikanik and Kanikanik Rivers.
and grain merchants. For some reason, my tongue all of a sudden locked on the top of my mouth. Prominent will... Can't do P's and M's together, apparently. What was that, Kelly? Could you give us your, your best Elvis again? I can't do Elvis. <laughs> now you can't do it. <laughs> you just did it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I can, you do the lip curl can, really well. <laughs> I can do the lip curl. Don't quite get the Elvis voice, but. During this 1993 renovation, Milwaukee's Conrad Smith shoot studios. Shoot-shoot-shootios. <laughs> I had no idea that Phil Collins was talking about an art company. <laughs> a martini lounge is located on the 23rd floor named the Blue Bar. And I did not say blue balls, Kelly. <laughs> they're, they're fun like super balls. They're bouncy. Uh-huh. <laughs> At least kids don't know what that means if they're listening to the bloopers. <laughs> 